0: Hi, this is Steve Andres. I'm the pastor of New City Church, and this is our podcast. Every week at New City, we invite people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and learn how to make a difference. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message inspires and challenges you to love God and serve your city more. If you want more info on New City Church or other resources, go to newcity.life today. But for now, enjoy this message. I'm going to read you today's text, and we're going to jump right into it. It's from Luke chapter 15, as we continue on this series of red letters, okay? Just stay standing for a minute. And, and it's this, uh, this idea of this series is that for the editors of the Bible, um, at some point in time, somebody had this idea. They said, you know what? Just to highlight the words of Jesus... Let's put them in red print. So if you have a Bible, not all, but some Bibles have all of Jesus' words in red letters. And so for these few weeks that we're doing this series, we're literally just talking about some of the things that Jesus has said and trying to bring them into kind of fresh focus as we gather together. So this one, one of my favorite chapters from the Scripture, Luke chapter 15, it starts out like this. It says, now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Speaking of Jesus, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I tell you the truth, that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Let it speak to our hearts so that when we leave this place, we would understand you better, and in light of that, we would understand ourselves better. I pray, God, for those that have come in here bearing burdens today, who are anxious, who are worried, who are hurting, I pray, God, special comfort and encouragement for them today. God, for those who come in rejoicing today, I thank you, Lord. Along with them, I thank you and give praise to you for your goodness in their lives. And Lord, let it be a reminder to those who are in need today, God, you are the good God who never stops giving good things. All in due season, your word says that we reap a harvest if we don't give up. So God, I pray today that you would speak through your word, and God, that we would leave this place different for having received it and acted upon it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Amen. Hug somebody before you're seated today. High-five somebody before you're seated today. Shake a hand. Say welcome. Glad to have you here. Now, there are more than a few times in the Scripture and in the Bible where Jesus draws this parallel between us and sheep. Maybe not even just Jesus, but even in the Old Testament, we see God's people... Referred to, as as, you know, metaphorically speaking, as sheep, and I don't think it's exactly a compliment for those of for those of us who may not really um, know all the the much more about the animal kingdom than what we learn you know from our kids' books. Calling people sheep is not necessarily a compliment because sheep, they have no natural defenses. They aren't able to run fast. They're not smart enough to hide. Uh, they're even known to to plunge off of cliffs when they get scared and they're running in fear, okay? They, they really are not the smartest of animals, which is why there is no school that chooses a sheep as their mascot. There's no Notre Dame fighting sheep or Louisiana State lambs or the U of I ewes. I really am proud of that one. (laughs) Now, we don't like to think of ourselves as sheep, probably, or at least in this way, as sheep, because we are always overestimating our own intelligence and our own ability, I think we're always talking uh, all the time i'll hear people you know i read tons of articles and and news and all kinds of stuff and sometimes when you go down the rabbit hole of like you know like you're getting into journals and stuff and there's all kinds of mentions of people organizations that are funded well funded organizations that are that are on this search for intelligent life in the universe which is really funny it, it it's funny that they always throw that in there we're looking for intelligent life okay because It would be amazing enough if we were to find life in any place, in any form, but we want to throw in that we have to find intelligent life because otherwise being, you know, as intelligent as we are, it's not that big of a deal, right? And so it's as if we finally were to land on Mars and find some colony there of living creatures. We would radio home and be like, Houston, I'm sorry. It looks like these folks are wearing Packers jerseys and using vape pens, and so I think we're going to have to keep looking for the intelligent life. Like, that wouldn't be enough just to find something alive we like to think of ourselves as pretty smart the truth is that the bible says that all of us um have become more stupid because of sin (laughs) i know that that sounds a little bit blunt to say it that way but it's very true and i can point to it in my own life and i can point to it over years of pastoring seeing how people get dumber we all get dumber because of sin and sin will have that effect on our lives jesus i think is kind of driving at this idea Because this sheep that in this story that he tells has wandered in the same way that all of us have wandered and become lost. This is what he's referring to. He's got a group of religious people who are judging him for, their, for being there and reaching out to those who are considered sinners in the community, traitors, people who have who basically disregarded God's laws, and, and they're, they're criticizing Jesus for reaching out to them. And he says, let me tell you a story about a sheep that wanders. And he's clearly referring to all of us in our sin. There's a scholar named Kenneth Bailey who's written some amazing books. My favorite of which is a book called "Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes." In it, he writes, uh, he's a scholar, he's a, a, a first-century Middle Eastern cultural scholar, and so this is kind of his specialty. And he's talking about the culture in Jesus' day, and how Jesus's listeners would have heard this story and understood it. And he talks about how shepherds in Lebanon at the time. Would, you know, would say that once a sheep gets lost, it tries frequently to hide under a bush or, or a rock, and it will just literally sit there because it's realized that it can't find its way home. And so it will just hide and, you know, quivering and then bleeding, making that sheep noise that sheep make. And, and the idea is this, that once that sheep is lost, it will not be able to find its way home. And the shepherd has to locate it as quickly as possible or its bleeding might be heard B-L-E-A-T-I-N-G, bleating, might be heard uh, by, a, by a wild animal and, and fall prey to that wild animal. Once it's found, Bailey says, that it's usually too traumatized to walk and it has to be carried back to the flock or to the village by the shepherd. So to Jesus' hearers, this story would have had the ring of truth, right? Would have made perfect sense. He says, who among you who has lost one of these sheep, you only have, you have nine, you have a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing, which one of you would not leave the 99 to go find that one? Now, I'll say something here that I I really have said for years and I want to, I want you to listen carefully to this because it's true in reference to our wandering that sin will take us farther than we want to go. Keep us longer than we ever intended to stay and cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. That's, that's the nature of it, right? This picture that's familiar to Jesus' listeners is, is, is a powerful one, and Jesus is telling it, this whole story, in the presence of people who consider themselves insiders and people who know they've been branded as outsiders. And so I have a few questions When we listen to this story, that as I read it over, and really I kind of wrestled that there's so many different directions in this series to go. And I actually sat down as I was finishing preparation for this and I thought, this is the right thing. And I literally, this was like the, the, I kept going one direction and coming back to this story because I'm like, everybody's heard of the 99 and the one. You know, know, everybody's done this one before. And I just kept coming back to this story. And I'll say, there were these questions that kept coming out that I think are worth asking today. Because they'll help us to, first of all, diagnose or evaluate our own hearts. But second of all, to understand something a lot better about the heart of God. So if you're taking notes, you can write these questions down. Number one, how important is the one? The shepherd has a 99% success rate, right? But he's still not satisfied, and Jesus says very plainly, every time he's going to leave the 99, to find that one that is lost. Now, I've taken hundreds of young people. I don't, I don't know exactly how many hundreds, but into the hundreds of young people around the world. And I was thinking as I was preparing, uh, Asia, Africa, Europe, Latin America, pretty much every continent, I brought them there. We've spent some time there, done the damage, and then gotten home, right? And I've had one simple rule as I've taken all of those trips, and that is this, bring everyone home okay? That's the number one rule. If the trip could go terrible, but just bring them home, right? It's not enough. It would never do for me to come home and have one child left behind and say, well, listen, I'm sure they'll be fine. They can start a life there. The people are wonderful. You know, whatever it is. I could never tell a parent that. You, I could I could never tell a parent, listen, you have three other kids. Isn't that enough for you? Do you have to be, so, listen, you can make more. Those, those comments would never work. I have to bring every one of them home home. It doesn't even work that way with, with less precious things in our lives, right? When we lose something, we don't, our, our reflex is not to just take inventory of what we still have, <laughs> right? We don't lose our phone and then say, well, oh good, I, at least I have my keys, you know? Like we go looking for our phone because we, we look for the thing that is lost. There are some 7 billion people on planet earth, And we can number them like that, but God does not call them seven billion. He calls them by name. He knows each one of them. Even the ones that are forgotten by everyone around them, God knows them. And he knows the ones who are lost and who are wandering. And the heart of God is for every one of them. Every one of them. That might be hard for us to grasp, but every one of them that is lost, every one of you that has come in here today that might be distanced from your heavenly Father, he knows your name, and He he has literally been searching out for you. He knows everyone. Our church, New City, can never become a clubhouse for the chosen. We are determined, and I'll say this as, as a leader and speaking for our leaders who, who, are, who are helping navigate and be a part, we are determined to, to resist that gravitational pull to create a church for insiders. Okay? I'm just going to say it like that. And that sometimes makes things uncomfortable for people. Because, because we are literally looking, we are, the church is the one, really, I think the one organization in the world that is unique in its purpose, that it exists for the, for the benefit of its non-members okay? We literally are here to be a blessing to our city. We are literally here to swing wide the doors and welcome all who would want to come and be a part of what God is doing here. We exist for the benefit of our non-members, and we will resist that, that, that natural tendency in us as human beings to create a club for insiders. That is not what we're going to be about because that's not what God is about. Jesus says you have a hundred sheep and one is missing. Which one of you would not go out and search for that missing sheep until you find it? So number two question, how long is your until? How long is your until? I talked to an elderly woman once, we, we were striking up a conversation and, um, and you we know, were waiting for, waiting for something and the conversation turned to her family and uh, some questions about it. And it's always interesting to find out uh, about when you're talking to somebody who's just had that many trips around the sun, you know, to find out about their life. And she just kind of began to talk a little bit. She said, I met my husband 60 years ago. And I said, wow, really? How, how, how did you guys meet and how did you end up getting married? And she said, well, he asked me to a dance. And I said, no. But he was persistent. And eventually we got married. And I, I had to ask well, her, what, what do you mean he was persistent? And she said, well, I had told him no, but he, he just kept coming over to my house unannounced. And then eventually, you know, we, we got married. And I thought, this is, this is how much things have changed in that amount of time. Because can you imagine what that would be like today? There's a lot of single folks in the house. If you were to ask some girl out, and she was like, no, thank you, and then the next day, you were just standing at her kitchen window. <laughs> like, I, I, found, I found you. <laughs> and you just continue to, that is, today that is a restraining order waiting to happen. <laughs> 50 years ago, it was a love story, you see but it's a great illustration of persistence. I, I think in Genesis 14 there's this there's this kind of mention of this story where Abraham has a nephew named Lot who we many of us have heard of. The Abraham's nephew is living in a place where he shouldn't have been living, and in the process there's there's this uh, there's this conflict and there's these other folks who roll into town and they take Lot captive. Okay, so now he is captive by these four kings, and Abraham realizes he there's somebody who makes it through, breaks through, and finds Abraham and says your nephew Lot has been taken captive and Abraham gathers up everybody is in, in his household. And the Bible gives us this very specific number. It says 318. All the people he's connected to in his life, 318 men, he gathers up and he says, we are going to go, and he takes them on a rescue mission to get Lot. And he f- literally fights through to rescue his, his nephew Lot, and he breaks, them, breaks him free. It's a pretty cool story. Jude 22, verse, verse 22 and 23 says this, keep being compassionate to those who are st- who still have doubts and snatch others out of the fire to save them. Be merciful over and over to them, but always couple your mercy with the fear of God. I'm asking you, how long is your until, because I'm saying how persistent in your heart are you to find those, to help bring those who are lost back to their Heavenly Father? How persistent are you to reach for those who might not know about the love of God? To tell them, I mean, think of this young couple in this Family who are going around the world, who are learning languages, committing themselves, raising budgets, leaving everybody behind to go because they have a persistent, they have a long until. You can know the Bible verses, you can sing the songs. You can go to Hillsong Conference. You can know every LeCrae song out there. But the Bible says that he who wins souls is wise. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't just say that that he who goes to church weekly is wise, it says that he who wins souls is wise. We might might know how to do all of the stuff, but do we know how to fight for souls? Do we know how to pray for the lost? John six forty four. Pray that God would draw them. Second Corinthians four four. Pray against spiritual blindness. Romans eight fifteen. Pray that they would receive a spirit of adoption. Roman uh, Matthew nine thirty eight. Pray for other believers to cross their path. Ephesians 1:17 Pray for a spirit of wisdom and insight with God. You can leave those up there for those of you who want to know that. These are some simple verses that you can literally go to and you can pray these over people who are lost in your life. They might not know God. They might not they might just be walking, wandering somewhere else and you know that they need to get right. And so you just start praying, how persistent are you? How long is your until? Will you search for them until they are found? Sometimes it even takes a squad. 300 people, 318 people rallied for lot. When was the last time you cared enough about somebody to rally some others, to pray for them, to love them, to reach out to them, to invite them, to make them? I, I think it's even so simple as this, you guys. Once we, when, when we come to church, we can become so uh, comfortable in our groups of friends and, and we're committed. We've got, oh, I've got these five friends and these people. And we have a tough time keeping up and maintaining these friendships alone, right? Let alone somebody new that we would welcome in and make them a part of our life, a sincere part of our life. So it's easy to say, hi, how's it going? Great to see you at church. But it takes much more persistence and it takes much more effort to invite somebody into your life so that they can actually walk with you on the way to Jesus, right? So they can actually walk with you in a relationship with the Lord. But that, I believe, is what God has called us to do. The people who are soul winners that I know in my life, they always make time for people who don't know Jesus in their life. They do. And I can tell you, I've even seen, I've even had a few moments of frustration myself. Like I thought we were friends, why aren't you making time for me? And then I realized that they are strategic and thoughtful and persistent and they know that there needs to be space in their lives for people who might not know Jesus to actually see somebody who walks with Jesus, to actually understand what that looks like and to be encouraged by that. I wanna challenge you to do that. Our game plan, Here at New City Church, it's pretty simple. It's to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It doesn't have to be a weird thing when you invite somebody to church. It won't be as long as it comes from a place of love. It doesn't have to be a weird thing when you challenge somebody or share the gospel with them. It won't be as long as it comes from a sincere love. When people stop loving is when religion gets weird. That's the bottom line. But if it's born out of a humble and sincere desire to see somebody experience the life and the love of Christ, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Here at New City, we say, we'll always we will always and I know we're, I'm talking about our church, they don't do this every week where I'm like, here at New City, but I, I feel like it's this season where I want to reiterate what it is that we're about and what our commitments are. We will always choose messy over easy when it comes to loving people. Because when you start loving people and reaching out to people, it gets messy because we are all messy in some way. You might have come in here today and you are a mess. Let me tell you, you are in the right place, okay? The sheep found by the shepherd is too exhausted to even get up. He's a mess. So the Bible says that the shepherd carries the sheep. In some way, even though I know Jesus is the good shepherd, I really believe that you and I are supposed to be in that role as well. Romans 15:1 says, we who are strong Ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not simply pleasing ourselves. Now, the word there that that is translated in this translation as "bear with" it really means to carry. You and I, who are strong, ought to carry the weak, in the same way that that shepherd picks up that sheep who is who's been messed up, who is who's who's got struggles and and just you know so many things out. The Bible says, "You and I ought to carry others." If you get tripped up after knowing God, and you're stuck in sin, and you can't seem to find freedom, you don't get kicked out, you get carried when it comes to churches that love God. That's the way it is. See, some people come in here, let me just say how it is. They come in here and they say, yes, I need the mercy of God, yes, I need to be found, I know I'm lost, and they and they 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 pray this prayer, and the Bible says the moment that you ask for forgiveness, the moment that you cry out for mercy, God will answer that prayer and start this process of new life in you. That happens instantaneously. But Let me tell you, a lot of people have that experience and then they leave this place and the same old sin patterns and the same old junk and habits in their life are still ruling them. They are forgiven, but they're not free. And so here's what happens. If you come to church, I want to say this to all who are strong in here, and you see somebody who is forgiven, but they're not walking free, it's not our job to kick them out, it's our job to carry them. It's our job to walk with them. And so we do that here, but we have small groups. We have ways that we structure for that. But let me tell you, it isn't a program thing, folks. It's a personal commitment on our part to say, I'll be somebody who will carry somebody else. Acts 15, 19 At this moment that the church is really struggling with, what do we do with all of these Gentiles, these people who are outside of the Jewish faith, and they are now believing in Jesus? What should we do with them? Here's what they decide. They make this this declaration at this this big meeting that they have. It says, we should not make it difficult for the unbelievers who are turning to God. Let's not throw any obstacle in their way. Let's do everything we can to carry them. Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees was that they made it difficult for people to serve God. Oh, he says this crazy thing, Jesus could light people up sometimes. <laughs> and he says, he, t- he calls them whitewashed tombs at one point. And then he says, he says this, he says, oh, you Pharisees, you blind guides. He says, you'll, you'll, you'll choke on a gnat, but then you'll swallow a camel. He says, you gotta, isn't that great? <laughs> Some of you guys didn't know that he said that kind of stuff, right? He's like, literally, he didn't say it behind their back either. He said it right to their faces, which is why they wanted to kill him, actually. (laughs) He says, You got it upside down. You're worried about the small, you're making the, the small things big and the big things small. I really think that you and I have to ask ourselves how long is our until? Jesus said the shepherd searches for the lost sheep until it's found. Number three, how right is your rejoicing? Because after he finds that sheep, he rejoices. He says there's more rejoicing over that one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people doing their thing. I mean, how many times have we, in a church setting like this, for those of us who've been to church for a long time, how many times have we looked around and just felt great about ourselves, right? Oh, man. Celeste can say, I mean, she is amazing. She's fantastic. I, let me tell you, I don't even have to play the guitar on here on Sundays. There's so many other g- guitarists who are better, do a better job than me. I just want to be up here standing next to her. Okay? I, I love it. We can look around and we can say, oh, isn't our church, isn't this great? Aren't we doing a wonderful thing? But let me say, we're rejoicing in the wrong thing. If we're just rejoicing in how great our church is, then we've missed the point. We want to be a church where unchurched people love to attend. I want this to be a place that anticipates and tastes the joy of heaven. And let me tell you, there's no greater joy on a Sunday morning for me than at the conclusion of our services when there are people who signal to me and say, yes, I want to come home. Yes, I want to be forgiven. Yet that is the moment that makes heaven rejoice. Our problem, we we forget sometimes What makes heaven pop? (laughs) Right? We forget what makes heaven get excited. But Jesus said, this is the thing that sets heaven rejoicing. Our biggest problem is not that we don't feel bad enough about what's wrong with us. Our biggest problem is that we don't feel good enough about what's right with God and about what God is doing. And so there needs to be a rejoicing There needs to be a sense. Some of you today need to get your rejoicing right because I I can tell you, when when the Bears won last weekend, some of you guys were up on your feet jumping around, but then you come to church and you see Celeste jumping around, you're like, well, that's weird. (laughs) That is just too much. (laughs) But how right is your rejoicing? Is your heart reflecting the heart of God? Because when we get together in here and we begin to celebrate what God is doing around the world, when we begin to celebrate about not just our seating capacity in here, but our sending capacity as a church, when we begin to celebrate what God has been doing among us and the lives who have been changed, that ought to be the thing that gets us popping in here. That ought to be the thing that gets us jumping in here. And so that's what I'm saying. I want us to be a church that rejoices because God has welcomed home every one of us sinners. I heard a story from a pastor, he was talking about his eight-year-old son who's autistic. I actually shared this at our vision night a couple months ago or a few weeks ago, I don't remember how long it was. His son was eight years old at the time, and they had taken a family trip to uh, a ski village at Vail, actually, Vail Village, and there were all these stores, you know, and the whole family was there, like even the extended family. And they had this really special week planned, but his son, who was autistic and, uh, you know, uh, had had some issues, you know, kind of relating to people, um, was there with them, and then for whatever reason, as they were kind of going from shop to shop in the village, I guess his son actually must have taken a wrong turn, got separated from the family. And this pastor was talking about this, he said, It took us a while because there was such a big group of us to realize that he was missing. But once we did, all that was going through my mind was the news story that I had read about how just several weeks earlier there had been an abduction in this area. And he said, just, I'm not supposed to be afraid, but I just, I just got terrified. And I just thought, my son just got taken from me right under my nose so he said, I just got frantic, and I started to tell every, everybody in the family, you go that direction, you go that, because they knew that they the, he, he's not going to be capable, he's not going to be able to, to communicate with somebody about what he needs, and so he'll be helpless if he can't If we can't find him, then he won't be able to find us. And so he just, he said, I sent everybody this way. And he said, then, as I was going from store to store, looking around for him, he said, I found, I saw the security guard up against the wall. And he said, here's the guy. And he ran up to the man and he began to tell him, I lost my eight-year-old son. He's autistic. He won't be able to communicate with anybody. He won't be able to help find us. You have to help me find him. And he said, the security guard leaned against the wall and never unfolded his arms. He gave him some some things that he might be able to do, some people to communicate with. But he said, I'll never forget walking away from that. We found our son. Everything was fine. But he said, I'll never forget the feeling of looking at that man against the wall who didn't even unfold his arms. And he said, I don't want that to be me. And I don't want that to be my church. Do you understand today that it's so easy for us to become comfortable and to say, you know what? I just, I just need a church that's for me. But do you realize today that that's not the heart of the Father? The heart of the Father is that you and I would go out and find the lost. I mean, God help me and forgive me for the times in my life where I've stood against a wall with my arms folded feeling great because I didn't really understand the heart of the Father because he has sons and daughters who've been missing. And I want you to think of how different the picture is that the Bible gives to us when it says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That when, we, when you and I were lost in sin, the Bible says that Jesus came looking for us and left the comfort and the glory and all that was his by right in heaven to humble himself and to be born among us. This is what the gospel message is. This is the good news that God would love us in such a way that he would reach us where we are because it's not possible. Let me help you understand today. For those of us who have wandered in sin, the heart and the priority of God is to see lost people saved, to bring us in, and he will carry us. The Bible says that Jesus did for you and me what we couldn't do for ourselves. There's no way that you and I could find our way home without him. There's no good deed. There's no amount of, of, of uh, respect that we could earn. There's no amount of sacrifice. There's no priest or pastor that could do it for us. Only Jesus is the one who can bring us home. And let me tell you, isn't it wonderful today that Jesus loved you and I enough? The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ paid the penalty for our sin so that we could come home. Praise God. I'm going to invite us to bow our heads for just one moment today. and ask ourselves these questions today. How important is the one? How long is your until? How right is your rejoicing? And some of us today may even feel as if the Holy Spirit is speaking us to, to, to us today, just telling us, hey, I just need you to unfold your arms today. I know for those that are hurting, for those that are carrying so much weight today, That It might seem impossible to do this. Let me tell you, God would never ask us to do anything that is beyond our capacity to do. And in obeying God, if in your heart you might, if in your heart you need to kind of step out of that comfort zone and unfold your arms to obey him today, if that's the case, let me tell you, there will be a blessing in it. There'll be grace to be able to follow through on that. I know in this room here this morning that there are some people who when you really get down to it you might have realized already. You might have realized before you even got here or as soon as you walked in the room you might have realized wow, I've been wandering and I've been lost. And if that's you today I'm going to invite you to come home. I believe that your being here today that this, that all of this that's been done here today and this message alone is God reaching to you and you have an opportunity to receive his forgiveness today.